scripture this morning is from the book of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Hey, welcome everybody to Current. We're glad you're here on this, our launch Sunday. This is a day we've been gearing up for 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 a good while to say officially and formally we're here. And so if you got a mailer in the, in, in the mail this week, or if you got a personal invitation, or maybe just moments ago you were downstairs checking out a museum, heard some noise, and now you're here. Uh, we're excited that you're, you're here, and today is all about welcoming you and saying we'd love to have you join our growing church community. Well, I was thinking about today and what we could focus in, focus in on from, from the scripture, and I felt led to look at this Luke chapter 19 uh, text, and then I came across that there are actually many biblical scholars who believe that this text really epitomizes what Jesus is all about. I mean, think about that for a moment. Uh, in the scriptures, we have a lot of accounts Uh, teachings, interactions Jesus had with any number of folks, but it's this one that a lot of biblical scholars say really epitomizes what Jesus is all about. And I thought about that. I was like, okay, I was already thinking about this text, but then when I discovered that, I'm like, all right, we really need to look at this text because in short, if there's anything we want to be about as a church, it's what Jesus is about. Jesus came to establish a community on his love, and his love is so incredible in that it was shocking, and it was messy in in a good way, as it was also very beautiful and powerful. So today, as we're talking about what we're trying to be about as a community, if you've been here among us uh, for a while now, we want to remind ourselves of these things. Or if you're new with us, we want to let you know what we're all about as we we put before you, considering that you would join us in this this church family. What Jesus wants in a community, his love that, that ought to form us. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll look at the text together. Father, what a, what a gift it is to be in this spot. Thank you for this computer history museum. I was just talking with some folks just earlier before the gathering started, just reminded how this was not a place we, you know, charted out uh, on a, or whiteboarded, hey, we want to have this kind of spot. Let's go look for it. No, no. This was a space where, uh, of the many that we were told no or was not going to work out, uh, you, you made available. And so we're, we're thankful to be here. And the wonderful gift it is uh, for us as the adults here in the auditorium, but also for the kids over in the Grand Hall, the space that they're able to have and run around and play and learn about you there. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the Computer History Museum staff. Would you bless them, protect them, their families, their relationships? 
And Father, would you bless us as a church? Not so much that we would be loved and cared for ourselves. I mean, certainly we do pray for that because we know that's your heart. But that through that blessing, you would increasingly use us to be a blessing to many more. Uh, Lord, as we celebrate this launch day and remind ourselves or think about for the first time what it is we're trying to be about as a church here at Current, would you show us through your text? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're picking up in Luke chapter 19 uh, with the verse, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now that might seem like kind of a throwaway description of a verse, but there's actually a lot going on in that little thought here that Luke, the original writer of this text, is trying to impart. And the reason why we know that is because by the time of Luke chapter 19, Jesus is toward the tail end of his earthly ministry. He's about almost three years into about his three-year-long length of time serving and doing ministry on, on earth. And this little phrase here is kind of Luke's way of tipping off that he's coming to the end. Uh, when it says he's walking through Jericho, passing through, he's on his way resolutely for Jerusalem, where he had been up until this point starting to predict more and more in an increasing manner with his disciples or his main students that he was going to go to a cross and be killed, crucified, and ultimately be raised again to life. He had been talking about this so much and so uh, uh, just explicitly that even some of his disciples, including Peter, kind of his main disciple, would take him aside and say essentially to him, geez, you can't be talking like this. Like you've got a crowd following you. People are into you. People are wanting to be about you. And this movement is starting to take off. Don't you go talking about how you're going to die. Like, what good does that do? In fact, there's one text in the scriptures where it says Peter rebuked Jesus in that. I mean, can you imagine Peter thinking about the scriptures later? Oh, yeah, I rebuked the Lord that one time. Remember that? But Jesus in response said to him and, and, these other, and on these other uh, similar occasions, hey, this is how it has to be. Don't you understand? This is precisely why I came to go to the cross, to die for the forgiveness of sins of all who would receive me so that everybody could come into my, into my family who would, who would have me. And so this is what Luke is trying to say when he's in this little throwaway verse of, of saying, hey, he's heading through Jericho on his way ultimately to Jerusalem, that Jesus is in the precious last few days of his life. So therefore, we ought to be especially all the more leaning into what's going on, what's he about? Jericho was a bit of a bustling trade of a town. It, sits, it sat right in the intersection of three continents, so there's a lot of trade going on there. It's also worth noting that Jericho was a bit of a religious town. It was a commuter town for religious priests. So religious uh, priests and Levites of the tribe of that, you know, who would do the religious rites, would live in Jericho and commute to Jerusalem to perform the ceremonies and then come back at the end of the day. So that's really important as you think about these crowds that begin to form. Uh, there's a higher concentration in these crowds of religious leaders and, and whatnot. Well, we're told all of this in just that little verse, Luke is kind of tipping us off, and then, and then we're introduced to this man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, this wee little man, if you grew up in church with the song. Zacchaeus, was, we're told, was a, was a tax collector. In fact, actually, we're told more. He's, he was a chief tax collector. And Luke adds, was wealthy. Uh, biblical scholars tell us that that was kind of a redundant detail. If he had been a tax collector, let alone a chief tax collector, of course he would have been wealthy. 
If you were here with us a few weeks ago, we talked a little bit about the tax collecting system. It was basically a farming system that the Romans had set up back in the day. Whenever they conquered people groups, they would exact taxes from them. And in order to avoid those people groups getting mad directly with them, they would try to raise up tax collectors from within a people group so that most of, they were so, so shrewd about this, so that the people group would be mad at their own people collecting the taxes, and what they would do is with these tax collectors that they kind of pulled out from, the own, from these conquered people, they would, they would tell them secretly the amount that they expected them to raise for taxes to be given back to Rome. And then say, hey, you go out with all the political and military might of Rome and raise these taxes. And to sweeten this deal for you, you can go ahead and raise whatever more on top of that that you feel like you can and collect that for yourself. Well, all of these tax collectors were wealthy, and it was all just a sign of their greed. They're just wearing it. And so all the people were more than just a little bit salty towards these guys. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, meaning he was public enemy number one. We're also told that he was short or <clears throat> maybe vertically challenged in today's translation. I kind of think, I mean, this is, this is a crook of a guy, arrogant, shrewd. I kind of think of a uh, Danny DeVito mobster character. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the kind of guy, if you, ha- if you can picture it, this Zacchaeus was. Well, Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming through Jericho, and he figured, you know, I want to go see this guy. I want to go see what this is about. Crowd started to get around Jesus, and Zacchaeus had to figure all of that out. We don't know. We're not told. Luke doesn't give us the information for why Zacchaeus wanted to go do this, but we can guess. I mean, Jesus had a reputation at this point for being somebody who cared for the poor, who cared for the brokenhearted, who, who was uh, known for carrying out miracles, teaching with authority, but he was also known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Zacchaeus almost certainly was thinking, oh, I wonder what this guy's about. This religious figure that everybody's trying to be around. He's, he's known as a friend of tax collectors. So, so Zacchaeus wanted to go see this guy as he was passing through Jericho. And we're told he tried to get so he could see him, but he couldn't see over the crowd because he was, he was short. Uh, Cindy and I have this Bible that we used to read to the kids when they were a little bit younger called the Storybook Bible. Uh, it's written by, gee, Sally Lloyd-Jones, if I'm saying her name correctly. That's uh, a great book, but she kind of retells some of these stories in her own words for the sake of kids. And at one point, she's telling this, this story of Zacchaeus, and she has the insight of how almost certainly people would have seen Zacchaeus on that day no doubt would have known who he was, despised who he was, and purposely made it hard for Zacchaeus to see Jesus. You tracking that? Lucas does, Luke doesn't tell us any of these details, but almost certainly the crowd saw Zacchaeus there, didn't want anything to do with him, and probably boxed him out a little bit. Sorry, little guy. No. They absolutely despised this guy. And so Zacchaeus, undeterred, was like, all right, he saw a little sycamore fig tree, climbed up, to try to perch himself up and see if he could see Jesus from there. And then the most amazing shift happens in the narrative. I love this. Because in verses 2 through 4, Luke puts Zacchaeus in the spotlight. Says, all right, this is what he's about. This is what you need to understand. And then in verse 5, the narrative has this amazing shift. Luke Luke captures this so skillfully of moving the, the focus back from Zacchaeus onto Jesus. Verse 5 says, when Jesus... When, when Jesus reached the spot, Jesus looked up and Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So here we see this love that epitomizes Jesus 
this love that he was really embodying in order to establish and form this community that he was getting ready to, to form ultimately in the church. This unique love, shocking, messy, but also beautiful, powerful love. And the first thought we see here, it seems to me, is Jesus' love meets you and me where we are. His love meets us where we are. I mean, are you taking in this scene? It's kind of comical if you think about it. I mean, literally, Jesus is standing at the bottom of a tree looking up at some dude that everybody hated, knew without a doubt, and in front of everybody, all eyes on him, he says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name, meaning he knows everything about this guy, just as everybody else does, and says, I've got to come to your house today. Come down. And you know, to do a meal with somebody back then was a far greater deal than it is today in our own culture. I mean, to invite somebody over for a meal, or let alone invite yourself over to a meal, was, was, was a big deal. Because you'd spend the better part of a day just hanging out with that person, just reclining because they didn't really have furniture, right? Hanging out, getting to know each other. And essentially what you're doing, culturally speaking, was linking your story to theirs, becoming associated with them. And so it was kind of scandalous for Jesus to not only go over to this guy's house, but to initiate saying, I got to come. I mean, it would be scandalous for anybody to have done that with Zacchaeus back then, let alone a religious figure. So it's no wonder in verse 7 that all the people were told, and remember, a good percentage of these people were probably quite religious. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. And you know what? It's incredible. The crowd actually didn't know the half of it. I mean, we know what's going on with the crowd. They're ticked off at Jesus for doing this. How could you go to this guy who's a sinner? How could you associate yourself with him? But they didn't even get half of it. It's even crazier than that. Because Luke at the beginning is tipping off for us. Not only is Jesus going over and spending some time with this guy, he's spending some of his precious little time left with this guy. And he says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. This, this is what epitomizes the love of Jesus this is absolutely central to what Jesus is all about. His love is a love that meets you and me where we are. Because let's just cut to the chase. What the scriptures are exceedingly clear about, even if you just take the gospel of Luke up to chapter 19, let alone all the rest of it, what the scriptures are exceedingly clear about is of anybody in this story that we probably should relate to, it's to understand that we are Zacchaeus. Jesus at one point even said, I have not come for the healthy, I've come for the unhealthy and what he was saying underneath that thought was, and that's everybody who recognizes they have a need. We are Zacchaeus. And that's the wonderful good news of Jesus is that his love extends to you and me. We are all selfish. We all live with greed. We all live in ways that hurt others, including those who are, we're close to. We all don't deserve God's love, but God, through Jesus, meets us where we are. No matter your past, no matter if you think you're beyond the pale, no matter if you think God just puts up with you, God loves you with the same personal and intimate love that Jesus extended to Zacchaeus on that day. The question is, have you received that love? And if you have received that, do you live from that love? You know, as a pastor, one of the joys and privileges is having conversations with folks, uh, you know, on, on a spiritual level, folks are open to it. And I have lost track of how many times down the years somebody has said to me to the tune of, oh, I don't think I can go to church, or oh, I don't think I could be about Christianity, because if I do, like, the walls would fall in on me. 
I've lost track of how many times I've heard people say that. In a way, I get that. I totally get that. Because again, the message essentially the scriptures is in a way we're all Zacchaeus. I'm a Zacchaeus. Even as a pastor, I, there's so many ways that I just fail to hit the mark. But the good news is that God loves us with the same love where he meets us where we're at with grace and forgiveness. And make no mistake, in this text, it's clear, Jesus is the one taking the initiative. I mean, I get that Zacchaeus perched himself up on that tree. But really, Jesus is the one who went to that tree, looked up, and said, come down because I've got to go to your house today. You know, the crowd, as I said, was ticked off. You know, they, they muttered, this man has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Uh, you know what the crowd wanted. The crowd wanted judgment. The crowd wanted Jesus to, to put Zacchaeus in his place, right? They wanted him to call Zacchaeus a sinner. They wanted Jesus to call Zacchaeus a crook, greedy, and all that sort of stuff, to let him know that he wasn't living up to God's standard. But you know what Jesus is doing in this story? If nothing else, is he's not only, he wasn't just saying that it's okay for me to go to this house. He was saying, you ought to celebrate that I was going to this house, religious folks. This is why I came. Uh, I'd love to do a little bit of a thought exercise with you. Um, let me ask the question, do you think Jesus was okay with Zacchaeus's lifestyle, for him being a crook, for him swindling folks? The answer to that is, of course not. I mean, if anything, the scriptures teach us that Jesus had a higher standard of morality and for ethics than the crowd did. I mean, in his most famous sermon of all, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus essentially goes throughout some of the Old Testament commandments and saying, hey, you've heard it written this way and that. Well, I tell you, and kind of added nuance to it. So for instance, he said, you've heard that Thou shalt not commit murder. But really, when God is saying that, that means don't even harbor hatred in your heart. Because when you go there on the continuum of like to, to murder, you're still, you're moving in the direction of causing harm to others. And then he said, you, you've heard it read, do not commit adultery. And he said, you, when it comes to that, you need to understand that when, when you, not even on the continuum of committing adultery, if you just do it in your heart, if you look lustfully, you're devaluing another person, you're hurting relationships. And then he said, don't judge. If you, when you judge, it's, it's as if you are seeing just the speck of sawdust in the other person's eye when re the reality, when you're judging, almost certainly you have a log in your own. I mean, if anything, Jesus had a higher standard, morality and ethics, than the crowd, and yet he doesn't go there with Zacchaeus. And you know why he doesn't go there with Zacchaeus? Because if he went there with Zacchaeus, not only would Zacchaeus be left not standing, no one in the crowd would be left standing either. Because no one lives up to that. No one lives up to God's standard. Do you think Zacchaeus would have had the life transformation that he goes on to have in this text that we'll consider here in a moment? Do you think he would have had that if Jesus had just come in like the crowd wanted him to? Let me ask you, have you ever had someone come up to you and be like, hey, you're a sinner, you're a crook, greedy, I see all that, you're selfish. Have you ever had someone come up to you and you in response be like, oh yeah, you're right, my bad. Look, if there's anyone who had the right to have that kind of conversation with Zacchaeus, it would have been Jesus, the perfect, sinless son of God. And yet he didn't go there. What did he do? Instead, Jesus overwhelmed Zacchaeus with his love, met him where he was. And it's interesting, 
Luke doesn't give us any mention of Jesus having some sort of discussion with Zacchaeus after he got us to his home. Like, hey, now that I'm here, we need to talk about some stuff. Zach, can I call you Zach? Let's go to talk about some stuff. He may have had some sort of conversation, but all indication shows that he did not have that conversation. He just goes to Zacchaeus' house. And cutting through all the noise, including the noise of the crowd that just wanted to bring judgment on him, cutting through all that noise, Jesus says, I love you deeply, son. Now, those aren't his exact words, but essentially what he says. Look at verse 9. I'm not sure this will be on the screen. I'm sorry. Today, salvation has come to his, this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Jesus was saying, this guy, too, is a part of God's family as he's received me. God meets you and me where we're at, smothering us with his love. And so, friends, if you're here today and you're carrying with you guilt or regret, Jesus loves you. He wants to call you son and daughter. He does call you son and daughter. He knows your past, but he loves you. He offers forgiveness and grace. That's the first thing we see. Jesus was unmistakably clear here is that his love, God's love, meets us where we're at. The second thing we see here is that it's by his love that we don't remain where we are. So it's his love to meet us where we are, but it's also his love that we don't remain where we are. I mean, Zacchaeus, at the end of the story, has just complete life transformation. Okay? This is after experiencing Jesus in the tree and then at, at the home, reclining around their, the, the meal table. Here's what Zacchaeus says in, in verse 8. He stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here I, and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I mean, this is just incredible life change. Have you ever experienced life change like that? Just maybe witnessing it in somebody else? I mean, I could probably count on like one hand seeing that kind of life change happening like in, in a short span of time. It's incredible. It's, it's miraculous when that happens. But here's what I want us to notice. Notice that the change isn't purely external in nature with Zacchaeus. It's not just him saying, all right, I've got this worked out. I'm going to give back to the poor. I'm going to... That's part of it. That's a huge part of it. But it starts with him saying what? Look, Lord. It started with this internal change that Zacchaeus recognized Jesus as Lord. And Jesus later would say, today salvation's come into my house. It's going to come into this house. It's seeing Jesus as Savior and Lord. seeing Jesus as his need and, and his leader and saying, okay, I want to commit my life to living for, for you, Jesus. And so out of that, Zacchaeus has this external change. And that's what I believe is kind of the point here. It's external change is, comes out of internal change. We, we change from the inside out often. You know, this is the way we've thought about it here at Current down the years. I want to remind ourselves, if you've been coming here for a while, I want to share with you if you haven't considered this before or, want, or looking at what we're about. It's really easy for any group of people, but let's, let's stick with churches right now, to have this continuum of first you've got to behave then you got to believe, then you can belong. Okay, you tracking with that? It's like this continuum of community into community is, okay, behave, and then believe, and then you can belong. So the behave part is, is what the crowd wanted with Zacchaeus. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, get your act together the way we want it to be together, and then we'll tell, share the message with you, kind of the way we see it, and then secret handshake, you're in, you belong. But Jesus flips that on its head. And what we've thought about it here is it's belong, believe, become. 
Belong, believe, become. This is what Jesus was doing, not just with Zacchaeus here, but with his disciples, his main students. I mean, when Jesus first called his disciples to be a part of them, uh, be part of what he was about, he went up to them and said, follow me. He never once said, hey, you got to follow me. Before you do, I need you to just do some stuff, clean some stuff up, and then you can be about me. In fact, one of his disciples was this guy named Matthew or Levi, also known as Levi, who was a tax collector, who was straight up sitting at a tax collector booth when Jesus went up to him and said, follow me. I mean, it's incredible. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus sent out these same disciples on this short-term mission trip to go share the gospel, to go heal and do all these things out away from Jesus on their own for the first time. Well, you know what's interesting about that? He sent them out before they even got to the place where they articulated that Jesus was Messiah. I mean, Jesus said, hey, come and be about what I'm about. Belong first. And then believe. We already talked about this. It's the Lord and Savior thing here. Zacchaeus said, you're the Lord. Jesus said, today's salvation is coming to the house, looking to Jesus for your need, looking for Jesus as leader of your life. And then become. And the become part is this inside-out life transformation that happens over time. And you know what's interesting about that is just look at the disciples again. I mean, that same Matthew, Levi, tax collector who became a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, would go on to live such a life that he'd ultimately be martyred for telling about the love of God through Jesus. It's incredible. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Oh, by the way, I love how the team found the word love in there. Isn't that cool? This is like t-shirt iteration 2.0, right? I forget, 3.0, 2.0, I don't know. Some people are wearing it today. I didn't want to say anything because I don't want to make it awkward. Give them a high five later. <laughs> Extra points, guys. Um, Belong, believe, we're coming. You see the love there. We like, we want to, if there's anything we want to be about as a community, it's, it's what Jesus is about. And what Jesus is about is love in a way that's shocking and, and messy, but also beautiful and, and powerful. This is what we're, we're called to be about. This is what Jesus was doing with Zacchaeus. He didn't go up to Zacchaeus and say, hey, man, I'm coming to your house, but you got you to gotta work this out real quick before I do that. But he invited himself over and just went. Uh, you know, there's a really incredible text in, in the book of Romans that's really helpful in this regard. In Romans, the Apostle Paul, writing to the early church, uh, is really writing a treatise on the gospel. And in the first part of the book, he's basically making the point that we're all Zacchaeus in the language of our own text, that we're all broken. We all miss the mark. We're all, we've all fall short of the glory of God is how he puts it. And at one point in the first part of chapter 2, he says, therefore, don't judge. Because the minute you judge, Christian brothers and sisters, the minute you condemn yourselves. That's kind of what he's saying. And then he goes on to say this in verses 3 through 4 of chapter 2. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on others and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, God's patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's God's kindness here that led Zacchaeus to repentance. It's his kindness that leads you and me to repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is simply a change of heart, a change of mind, a turning of our direction into, into the way that God calls us to, from one thing that we know he doesn't want us to, into another. And let me just ask you, was that a loving thing for Jesus to do with Zacchaeus to ultimately want him to have a life change? Absolutely. I mean, it's precisely because Jesus loved Zacchaeus that not only did his love meet him where he was, but his love didn't leave him where he was. I mean, think about it. For Zacchaeus, 
his ways, his greed, his selfishness, his arrogance, just corruption, all of it, certainly hurt many, many people. But not least of it, it also hurt him. And Jesus, out of his love for him, wanted to meet him there and help him not remain there, but from the inside out, help him change. Now, this is what we want to be about as a community, a love that meets you and me where we are and a love that doesn't keep us where we are. Sometimes we need somebody to share with us where we're missing the mark, but don't you see how if it's under this thought and, and feeling, it's, it's one where it's not out of judgment, it's out of one where we're both, we, we recognize we're all Zacchaeus, we're all in this journey, and here's a thought without judgment, maybe help you as I need your help to move towards Jesus, changing from the inside out. It's a love that, that Jesus loved in a shocking and messy way. You know what's interesting is this is messy love. I mean, there's a reason why it's human tendency in organizations, in groups, including in churches, for us to kind of create these behavioral norms that people have to first get past, behave, believe. The reason for that is it kind of makes things less messy, at least on the surface. Because we've all decided, all right, these are the behavior norms we all agree on, right? You good? You good? You good? All right. Let's fence it off. But the reality is that even when you fence it off, it's still filled with people who are Zacchaeus. It just doesn't feel as messy because everybody's just agreed to, is this making sense? But if you go, okay, we're going to like do this where I'm Zacchaeus and my way, you're Zacchaeus, and let's try to figure out because we all need Jesus. It gets a little messy, but a messy in, in all the best sense as it is beautiful and powerful. It's the love that meets us where we are but doesn't leave us where we are. Look, as a church, we're trying our best to follow in Jesus' footsteps. My favorite verse here, well, there's a couple favorites, hard to choose. But I would say my favorite verse here is verse 7, where it said, all the people saw this and began to mutter. I love this verse because notice what they're muttering about. Were they muttering about Zacchaeus and his ways and how he just was a crook? And That's not what they were muttering about. They were muttering about Jesus having gone to this sinner's house. And I just feel like this is such a great encapsulation of the gospel, the good news. Because in the same way that Jesus took the scorn and hostility that the crowd otherwise would have put on Zacchaeus, upon himself, Jesus was going through Jericho to the cross to take on your scorn and my scorn, your shame and my shame, so that we could receive his life and forgiveness. Now, that's what this is all about. It's a picture of what he was coming to do on the way to Jerusalem and the cross. In fact, the prophet Isaiah at one point prophesying about 600, 700 years before Jesus, talked about Jesus in this way. He said he was despised. Think about Zacchaeus and how he was despised. Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what Jesus was entering Jericho, passing through on his way to Jerusalem. He was going to the cross. But on the way to the cross, with this precious few hours, days he had left, he first had a very important visit to make with the chief tax collector. Jesus concluded 
Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For, referring to himself, the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. This is what we want to be about at current, to make the love of Christ available and known, recognizing that we first need that ourselves, (laughs) that we ourselves are Zacchaeus. In fact, we want to really fight the tendency or confess the reality that we are off in the crowd. So often we, as the church, and we'll just talk about it, even as current, we can so easily become the crowd, fencing people off, even unwittingly, from seeing Jesus. If anything, we want to say, no, 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 no. We want to recognize that we ourselves are Zacchaeus, starting with ourselves. That's why we say each and every week, Cindy said it this morning earlier, current is a community following Jesus together, and you're welcome wherever you are on your spiritual journey. It's a love that meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us where we are. I love how D.T. Niles put this in the New York Times of all places. He said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Or to put it in our wording of our text today, Christianity is a forgiven Zacchaeus letting others know about God's love, grace, and forgiveness in Christ. We don't claim to have our act together as a church. We don't claim to be a perfect church. In fact, we believe that's the point. That's why Jesus came, and that's what we desperately need, starting with ourselves. And from the inside out, we want to make that same love known. This is the love that Jesus is about. This is what we want to be about, and we would ask that you join us. Let's pray. You know, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, or maybe you're here just visiting today and you've thought about these things, or maybe just even in this moment, you've wondered, what does it mean to become a follower of Jesus? How do I receive? The gospel is Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. And that because he was raised again to life on the third day, we can have eternal life with him. Not because of anything we can earn or do on our own. No, (laughs) we're just like Zacchaeus in that sense. But Jesus came to make that way possible back to our Heavenly Father, back to himself. And we receive that by faith. When we believe on his name, it says we have the right to become children of God. And if you're here today and you'd like to receive that, I want to give you an opportunity here now. Again, privacy, everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed. Uh, You can raise your hand to receive that. Of course, it's not the raising of your hand that saves us. It's the decision we make in our hearts. But... I will see and I'll pray for you. If you'd like to receive Jesus, yes, I see hands. Yes, more hands, yes. Just give you a moment if you'd like to receive Jesus as he invites you to. Yes, more hands. Let's pray. Father, I want to first of all pray for those who raise their hands today because it's so incredible that your love meets us where we are. It meets us up in a sycamore tree, so to speak. It also meets us as we're sitting in rows of chairs at a church gathering. Your love meets us. And so I first of all pray for brothers and sisters who've raised their hands today. Would you meet them there? Would you forgive them their sins as you promised you do? Give them eternal life in your name. And Father, as a church, we desire more than anything to be about what you're about. What you're about is amazing grace and love that meets us where we are and loves us so much it doesn't leave us where we are. Forgive us for how as a church we so often don't represent you all that well in this regard. Would you help us even get beyond ourselves? Help us not be like the crowd. 
but help us be like one Zacchaeus, loving and caring for those around us who would receive you like Zacchaeus as well. Point the way. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.